So today we're going to be looking at the importance of one. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to play Bible gymnastics this morning. We're going to start in uh, John chapter 1, verses 43 to 49. And then we're going to transition into Matthew 13, 44 to 46. Matthew 13, 44 to 46. Now, we've been doing a series on who's your one. I want to remind you, you should be on about day 15 now. Uh, we've started two weeks, so tomorrow would be week three. Make sure that you're reading the scripture, reading the little outline, and then filling it in. And at the end of this time, probably after Easter, uh, we'll all get together in a small group and kind of talk about uh, who's your one and identifying who's your one. So there are prayer guides still back there in the back. There are also bookmarks with all of the scripture readings uh, for the 30 days. And also there is a card. It's a, it's a business card. It says you are loved and it gives you kind of an outline of how to share the gospel. And then on the back you pray. And we're going to talk more about that today. One person can have a huge impact. One person can have a huge impact on the kingdom of God. In fact, when one person repents, heaven rejoices. And so let's start thinking about the number one, not worrying about the big numbers. I'm going to play a, uh, a, a video from Chris Hammond. The gift of playing professional baseball in the major leagues is a gift that God blessed me with that gotten so many doors open. And then when I give somebody a testimony card and, and they're going, you play for the Atlanta Braves or the New York Yankees? And I'm like, yeah. And I give them a testimony card and it's like the ice is broken. I've gone to church every, every Sunday for, I mean, 99% of my life. For the first 26 years, my Sunday school teacher could care less if I was asleep or not. I came to faith in Christ, probably finally realizing it's not about going to church, it's about being the church. I started looking at myself in the mirror and, and I didn't see any, any of Christ Monday through Saturday, only on Sunday mornings. And I started thinking, am I a Christ follower or am I just a Christian? In, in 2004, that's when I really started the, the relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I started praying a prayer every morning for six months, every morning. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Help me to focus my life on who Jesus Christ really is. Help me to make him my walk, my talk, and my thoughts. Things started changing my life. That's why, I mean, I'm, I'm so bold and because I, I see a world that's lost and they, they go to church every Sunday. When I think of my one person that I, that I, uh, I focus in on the most is, is those guys wearing stripes in those jails. I mean, I think God really put the, the guys on my heart because I go, guys, my name's Chris Hammond. I played 18 years professional baseball. And, and, and as I go on and on and on, it's the, the, the loudness goes, goes down to a, to a silence. They see me as a, a professional athlete and now their ears are like this. I just talk to them. I tell them where I, where I was and how I've gotten, because I mean, they're, they're like, man, I, want, I don't know if I'll ever get like you, because I mean, you're, I mean, you love talking about Jesus. I go, 15 years ago, 12 years ago, it's, it's about a relationship with Christ. It's about a relationship with the, with the Word of God. 
And my challenge to, 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 the, to the guys when I do jail ministry, you take, you take my advice about starting that relationship with the Spirit of God and the Word of God, we're going to be chest bumping in heaven. That's going to be a good day. My name's Chris Hammond. I've played um, 18 years professional baseball, seven Major League Baseball teams. I have my one. Who's your one? So yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of these videos that we'll be playing throughout the series we have uh, today and two more weeks. So we're going to start with the uh, Gospel of John. John is not part of the Synoptic Gospels, and by Synoptic Gospels, I mean Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they use the similar, and the word synoptic means similar. So you'll find parallel stories and all the teachings of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Many of them are just, uh, they see things from a di different angle. But then you get to John. John doesn't use the transfiguration. He doesn't use the Lord's Supper. There's no parables. And so that's why John is part of the canonical Gospels, but not the synoptic Gospels. John has a different view. John focuses more on the divinity of Christ. Uh, one of the uh, verses in John chapter, I had to memorize this when I was in uh, at Trinity um, and the word became flesh this is John 1 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as the only son from the father full of grace and truth John's John's issue is more on the divinity of Christ and showing who Jesus is and avoids all of the other things so that's why it's not part of the Gospels that are similar in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John, the writer of this is John, the son of Zebedee. And it was written, it's a rather large scope. Uh, it was written anywhere from 80 to 85 AD. Some scholars even go as high as 87, but I don't think that's legitimate. But 80 to 85 AD, Ephesus, the place that he wrote this from, that's debated. Uh, highly debated, but Ephesus seems to be a pretty good starting point. And the purpose, Jesus is the Son of God. And when we talk about witnessing, and we talk about sharing the gospel, it really is about Jesus being the Son of God. And we all, as believers, know that to be true because we've trusted in Christ. We know that he is the real Son of God. So today, as we look at the verses that we're at, we're going to pick it up in verse 43 and 44 before we get into the actual text. Then the next day, this is verse 43 of chapter 1, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So getting our map again and looking at the map, um, it's clear that the earlier callings happened down south, but now Jesus is traveling north. Bethsaida is right here. So in this region of Galilee, Jesus 
runs in to Philip, and he calls him. Follow me, akalutho. And it, that word means, literally, to come alongside and to follow behind someone. In the sense of not only following behind him and following his actions, but also implies learning. Learning. So when Jesus said, follow me, he was talking about coming behind me, but also at the same time, learning from me about the kingdom of God, which Jesus did teach his disciples about the kingdom. Sometimes they didn't, uh, they didn't get it, and uh, many of us, if we're being real this morning, sometimes we don't get all the things that God is doing or teaching us. But nonetheless, when he said, follow me, he meant to come alongside, join him on the journey, but also to learn more about the kingdom of God. And brothers and sisters, that's exactly what a disciple is. It's somebody that follows Jesus and learns from him about the kingdom of God. Now, the first thing we want to note this morning is that we're to tell others about Jesus. Verse 44 and 46. Philip, who was recently just found by Jesus, said to follow him. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him who Moses in the law, that's Deuteronomy 18, 18, and 19, and also the prophets wrote about Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. And we look at what possible uh, scriptures that could have been in play for the prophets. How about Daniel 7.13, Micah 5.2, Zechariah 9.9, Isaiah 52.13, all the way to chapter 53, verse 12. So he immediately, after Jesus says, follow me, come and live with me, basically, learn from me, Philip immediately goes and he finds Nathanael. We don't know that the time lapse between Jesus' call to Philip and Philip's reaction to go to Nathanael. We don't know the time lapse, but it probably wasn't long. So as Philip is following Jesus, he looks and he sees Nathanael. And he says, Nathanael, we found him, the one that Moses talked about and the one that the prophets talked about. We found him. Come, come with me. I want to show you Jesus. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you get the idea from Philip that he is excited, at least from the language here, you can tell that he's excited. When I read this, uh, and, and again, I tweak series, any time somebody wrote something, I'll come along and I'll change it. When I read this, think about witnessing for a second. Number one, you have to have a personal knowledge of Jesus. So Philip had a personal knowledge of Jesus. He actually went through the scriptures and realized, wait a minute, Jesus is the Son of God. So Philip in his response, knew very well that Jesus was the Son of God, not only from the writings of Moses, but also from the prophets. It was very clear to Philip that they had found the Messiah. 
And his first reaction, his first reaction is to engage Nathaniel in a relationship. He says, I want you, I'm telling you, we have found the Messiah. Now there's something else that Philip does here that is something that we should be doing, and I'm going to give us some illustrations here in just a second. Uh, number three, he used scripture. Philip used the Old Testament. Think about evangelism. Think about how you're going to tell somebody that you have found the Messiah. You have found Jesus. And those of you here and watching by Facebook who have trusted in Jesus Christ, you should know some scriptures that you're going to use in sharing the gospel. It's very, very important. I've often said your personal testimony is wonderful. How it was before you came to Christ? Tell, be, look, be honest with people about who you were. You, you may not have been a good person. Uh, I, I've heard tons of, of, of testimonies. One was a man named Willie. When I was in England, and I was serving in the army there, and not in England, but in Germany, we went to England for a visit, for our friends who uh, were Salvation Army officers. And I really connected with Willie. Willie said, Michael, I used to be a, an alcoholic. I was strung out, but then Jesus saved me. I remember on one of our trips, uh, our friends took us around England, showed us all the sights, Hop, hop, cheerio. Saw all the sights of England. And when we returned back to the Salvation Army facility, there was a man laying in front of the door. And his whiskey or whatever it was was tipped over. And I helped Richard take this man in. Listen, all of us have a past before Christ. Be willing to share that realistically and say, this is who I was before Jesus. It, may, and it doesn't matter what it is. Just say, this is how it was. But then this is how it was the moment that I trusted in Christ. I'll never forget that day, October 12, 1981. That was the day that I trusted in Christ. If I close my eyes, I can still see that small chapel and that chaplain telling me the gospel message. And then thirdly, tell them how it is now. How has your life been changed by Jesus Christ? That's your personal testimony. You can do that in a matter of five minutes. And, and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to say, look, you know, my life was bad and this, this is what I did. Because when you do that, you are connecting with the person that you are trying to reach. They'll be able to know, wait a minute, you're not one of those holy rollers, you were just like me. And that's what people need to see. They need to see that Christ can make a difference in a life. And I like Chris Hammond, he said one day he realized that I looked in the mirror and I didn't see what I was supposed to see. So it's okay to be real with, with people, but you will need scriptures. I, I, I do believe you will need scriptures at some point when you're sharing the gospel. Everybody knows this one, right? John 3, 16. 
You can probably say it right now from memory. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. I see some of you mouthing it. That's very good. That is in essence the gospel. That the gospel is open to everyone. And so a second thing, and I think the Roman road is probably the best proven tool for sharing the gospel. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That lets everybody, me, you, them, everybody, has sinned and missed God's perfection, fall short of the glory of God. That means actually none of us deserve to be in the kingdom. None of us. Not me, not you, not anybody watching. None of us deserve it. But God's infinite grace and mercy allowed us to be born again into the kingdom of God. A second verse is Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of eternal life is in Christ. Those are the two the two roads. So you point out, first of all, that everybody has sinned, including me, including you, and then there's a, there's a choice to be made. You, uh, choice to be made. You can either live a life separated from God, or you can trust in Christ for the eternal life that he provides. And then another simple verse, Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if you believe with your, in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. Very simple. That's really, if you had these verses, you could do a good job evangelizing and telling people about Christ. Philip was excited. He saw Nathaniel. Nathaniel, found him. It's him. He's here. I want you to come and uh, listen to what Nathaniel says here. Uh, I'm not done with this. There's one more. And I picked up on it in the text. So we're in verse 46. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Okay. A little back story here. Nazareth is never mentioned, and this may shock you, Nazareth is never mentioned in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, it wasn't even a significant place. And in the day of Jesus, it was, uh, it didn't have a really good reputation. So, uh, when Philip says, we found Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God, he goes immediately and says, wait a minute. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And notice, look at Philip's response in verse 46. Philip said to him, come and see. Notice what did not happen here. Philip, or Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. This is one thing you absolutely cannot do when witnessing. Do not argue. You notice Philip didn't even look at that issue. He didn't say, what do you mean? What do you mean? Nothing good can, he didn't, he didn't argue. You don't want to get into an argument with unbelievers. Sometimes just giving the testimony, sharing the testimony, and then if they don't make a decision that day, don't look at that as, as, a, as a failure. Back away from the situation. Never engage in an argument with an unbeliever. Philip, he didn't even, he didn't even acknowledge that statement. That It's in Scripture. It, he didn't acknowledge it. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Just come and see. 
That's all I want you to see is Jesus. I've, I've, I learned that through trial and error. Arguing never really does any good. and In fact, it may actually hurt the gospel presentation. If somebody pushes back, just say, well, I'll just, I'll just pray for you, and we'll leave it there. So Philip says, come and, come and see. So don't argue. Personal knowledge of Jesus, it's good to be saved before you share the gospel. Build relationships, and by the way, take a lost person to lunch. Breakfast, dinner, and build a relationship. Use scripture, John 3.16, Romans 3.23, 6.23, Romans 10.9 and 10, and please don't argue. Don't enter into hypothetical debates. Uh, I've met people that wanted to enter into hypothetical debates, and usually I'd just say, well, um, I, I really don't want to get into that. I would rather just share the gospel with you. And so Philip does a really good job there. It struck me when I read it and then read it again and read it again. I said, wait a minute. He didn't even acknowledge that argument. Because, look, lost people have some wild ideas about salvation. And the last thing we want on us is that we argued the person further away from the gospel. So share the gospel, yes. Don't enter into an argument. Here is the good news. Here is the good news. You share the gospel with somebody, they may not accept it now, <clears throat> but they will remember your presentation when you tell them. You do that out of love. That's why we share the gospel. We share it because we love people and we don't want them to spend eternity. Here, uh, eternity separated from God. Here is the good news. Some will trust Christ. Some will trust in Jesus. Think about the joy of sharing the gospel. Many of you I know have had the privilege of sharing the gospel and leading people to saving faith. Isn't that the the greatest joy that you have as a believer is when somebody says, yes, I want to trust in Christ, and then you just lead them in the sinner's prayer. Um, it's such a wonderful joy. Some will trust in Christ. Now look at verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael. Here we go. So apparently, Nathanael, after Philip said, come see, let me, let me just show you. So Nathanael starts walking with him, and now Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. So now Jesus is encountering Nathanael. Even though Nathanael said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Jesus is encountering him. Alethos is the word indeed. He says, behold, an Israelite indeed. When Jesus said that, that word indeed, which doesn't look significant in the overall text, but it is significant. Jesus said, if I read it to you this way, behold, an Israelite, a true Israelite, or a real Israelite. Jesus is connecting where he is. He knows him. I, I love that song this morning. He knows my name. 
he knew Nathaniel. He, he knew him. In Dean Who There Is No Deceit, Gerald Borchardt writes in his commentary, Jesus has desig designated Nathaniel as a true or authentic alethos, uh, real or true Israelite in whom there was no deceit or guile. In making the statement, Jesus contrasted Nathaniel with his forefather Jacob, the usurper in Genesis 25:26, who by duplicity or guile, and that's Genesis 27:35, that's the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, deceived his father and cheated his brother out of the blessing to say nothing of his dealings with his uncle Laban, who was skilled in guile. Jesus says, I see something in you that is genuine. By the way, that's what Jesus sees in all of us. He sees who we are. He sees our lives. He knows us. And we go to verse 48. Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, because he says, no, oh, wait a minute. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, i got to back up. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? How do you know me? Jesus knows every person. Psalm 139, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. That lost person that you're sharing the gospel with, Jesus knows. The world may tell you that pregnancy is just a natural part of life. But our gospel tells us that each person is created in the image of God. So when we look at those unbelievers and we see them in our lives, we need to look at them as people created in the image of God and in the image of God, I need to share the gospel with them. I need to get back to a place in my life where I go, you know what, Lord, just use me. I know you know this person. And I will tell you, I will tell you, that day the army chaplain saw me on my bunk and he said, Sergeant Frazier, I want to talk with you took me there. Jesus knew that moment, that divine appointment. And he knew who I was. And then everything that my grandparents had talked to me about came flooding back. I thought it was buried. And then that day I trusted in Christ. But Jesus knew me. Jesus knows your lost friends. Jesus knows your lost family members. Jesus knows your lost neighbor. He knows them and desires to have a relationship with them. Therefore, as a believer, it is imperative that I want to reach out and help share the gospel with the lost. Sometimes it's just sitting down uh, the Who's Your One program says, invite a lost person to lunch. Don't maybe initially talk about the gospel, but kind of share your faith in a little roundabout ways. Let the person know that you're a, that you're a Christian, that you're saved, um, and start building that relationship with an unbeliever. Remember, they are made in the image of God. 
God knows their name. I, I, again, I was loving that song this morning. And God desires a relationship with them. And think of it this way. Somebody took the time to share the gospel with you. For them, you were their one. And they took the time to say, wait a minute. Let me tell you about Jesus. Come see. And looked at the scripture. And I go, wow, that's right. Now, I had no idea at the time. I had no idea at the time that I would someday be a pastor. Because I was on a, a military track to retire from the military. I had no idea God would call me out of that. But you never know what one witness, your witness to one person, even if you live your entire life and you don't get the accolades from the world, you don't get the job that you want, you don't get the promotions that you want. If you lead one person to Christ, it has been a successful life. And if you live for Jesus in this world that desperately needs to know him, you will have an impact on the kingdom of God far-reaching beyond just Tolono. If you've got a friend in Arizona or New Mexico or Boston and you share the gospel with them via text or email, they may come to know Christ and then you don't know what's going to happen on their end. How many people they're going to tell about Jesus? One is very significant in the kingdom of God. So how do you know me, Jesus? How do you know me? Verse 48b, Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Uh, the fig tree, very symbolic in ancient Israel. In the rabbinical teachings, the shadow was a reminder, as you're sitting under the tree, the shadow was a reminder of God's presence. And oftentimes the rabbis would go sit under the fig trees and they would read scripture and they would pray and meditate. What does that tell me? Listen to this. What that tells me is that Nathaniel was seeking You don't just plop a fig tree in there without any context. That tells me that Nathaniel was seeking. Listen, there's going to be times when you're sharing the gospel, somebody's really going to be seeking. And then there's other times you share the gospel where I was once told to shut up. And you know what I did? I said, yes, sir. And I walked away. I had my Bible and it was with a person who was dying. It wasn't the person, it was a family member. Shut up. I want to say the person apologized to me later, but he never did. But I could tell he was angry and so I didn't keep pursuing it. There's going to be people like that. And they're not going to like you when you share the gospel. But then there's going to be some like Nathaniel. Who genuinely are searching for something. And by the way, people in this world are searching for something. 
They're searching for that hole in their heart that cannot be filled. They may chase big dreams. They may chase automobiles. They may chase new houses. They may chase a spouse. They may chase whatever it is to fill the void that is missing in their life. And that void can only be filled by Jesus. And then life totally changes. And so Jesus said, Philip, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus had a knowledge of Nathaniel. Watch Nathaniel's response. Watch his response. Nathaniel answered him and said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. He knew that only Jesus could know where he was. He didn't see Jesus when he was under that fig tree, but Jesus saw him. The world needs to know that God loves them where they are, and he will take them where they are and bring him into the kingdom. You do not have to get cleaned up or get baptized or any of that stuff before God takes you into the kingdom. Jesus took, saw him, took him exactly where he was, and this actually caught Nathaniel's attention. And he says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. One thing that you say to a person may make a radical difference in their conversion. And that's why I think it's important to pray about what you're going to say before you engage a lost person. Maybe, maybe do this. Father, and I'm praying off the cuff here. Father, I'm going to be talking to John today about the gospel. I pray that as I get ready to share the gospel with him, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would already be present. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would give me the words that I need to say. And Father, that you might, through me, meet that need where he is in his life. Father, give me courage, give me compassion, and help me share the gospel with clarity. And Father, I'm going to lift John up to you and ask right now in the name of Christ that you already be ahead working on his heart. In Jesus' name, amen. That's a simple prayer. But you, you have to realize it's not just you. It's the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit calling upon the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ to be present even before you share the gospel. That's very, very key. Because at the end of the day, when the dust settles, we don't save anyone. Jesus saves people. God uses us as instruments to share the gospel. And then pray for similarities, things that you have in, in, in common for I, I don't want to sound bad here, but by and large, men like sports. By the way, the Braves won the World Series last year. I've got to tell you that. <laughs> men like sports. Start with sports. Talk to them about sports. Build a relationship. 
Ladies like, well, there are some ladies that like sports too. So if you've got a lady friend that likes sports, I know my wife doesn't. Um, talk with them about what you women talk about. Which could be shopping, clothes. I don't see that sounds bad just on all levels. There's no way to put it, but um, just make a connection with them. Don't start immediately. Do you know the four spiritual laws? Build a relationship with the person so that you can naturally share the gospel and ask Christ for opportunities. Just ask Christ for opportunities to share the gospel. Okay. Let's flip over to Matthew now, or you can just wait for me to read it. Our priority is the kingdom of God. And these, these two parables... We're going to go through them quickly because I want to close this and give you a chance. In Matthew's gospel, in 1344, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hid in the field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. I want to go back. I thought I put that slide up there, but I did not. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that is hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. In the day, in the day of Israel, in the time of Jesus, people would often take their treasure and they would bury it in the ground. So apparently, in this story of this parable, the man is walking along one of these fields and he sees a treasure. He looks at it and he goes, I got to... This is valuable. I'm going to bury it again. And it's so valuable that I'm going to go purchase everything that I have to buy that field. Brothers and sisters, listen to this. Within this little short parable is the idea of discipleship. Do you realize in your possession and my possession, you have the kingdom of God? It is more precious than anything. And as a disciple, I want to sell everything that I have to get that treasure so that I can go out and tell others about the kingdom of God. That's so, so important. To be a disciple is not to be a church Christian. That is true. You come to church as a Christian. But it's like Chris Hammond said at the beginning. Am I a Christian or am I a follower? That's a big distinction. A Christian just comes to church, does the Christian things, but a follower says, I'm going to live for Jesus. And this great possession, this treasure that I have, is so valuable that I'm going to give everything that I own so that I can possess it. That's discipleship. Now the second parable, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. So this man stumbled over the treasure. The merchant is now searching. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all he had and bought it. Donald Hagner, in his commentary, writes this, the pearl is clearly equivalent to the kingdom of God. Pearls, it is worth noting, were very highly valued in the ancient world, more so than gold. 
again, the idea is somebody who was searching for something of great value, and they found it. And again, this merchant sold everything he had so that he could possess that pearl. You are the hidden treasure. You are valuable. You are the pearl of great price. You have within your possession the kingdom of God. And our job on this end of the equation is simply to say, look at this great valuable possession. It cleanses people from their sin. It cleans them up. It makes them fit for heaven. And when they die, they spend eternity with Christ. And so we need to get back to this idea that we have within our possession a great, valuable possession. Let me ask you a question this morning. What is a soul worth? Worth? 